steamy. Um, and we're glad you're here this morning. We're actually stepping into our second week um, of this new series that we kind of started that I've just simply called and entitled Life Authentic. And, and it's really just an, an exploration, a verse-by-verse journey through the book of James. And, and it's, a, it's a difficult way to preach. When we decide that we're going to preach verse-by-verse through text, it means we've got to deal with all the things that we don't like, all the difficulties and nuances and verses that we tend in our own personal reading to skip because we don't really know what to do with them or we don't like the way they make us feel or whatever. We're going to do battle with all those verses, open them up, and let the God of the universe teach our hearts through this entire book. And the entry point was simply this. What I told you last week was is that if you're anything like me, you find yourself a lot of times living in the middle, right? In the middle of contentment, in the middle of mediocrity. When it comes to your mindset, your heart, and your faith, your spiritual life, maybe you just find yourself oftentimes right in the middle. And if, if you are like me, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of living in a place that costs me nothing and that spiritually is filled with mediocrity. I know that I was created for more and that God designed me for more and that he's calling me to more. And I believe the same is true for you, that God has called you to something spectacular. He wants you to come face to face with who he is, his truth. And when we open the word of God together and we study it, and we look at James, we're going to come face to face with the truth that God has called us to more than we are living. And then when we examine ourselves in the face of the perfect law of God, we come radically, we come, come kind of face to face with the radical truth of who we're not and who we need to be in Jesus and who Jesus is can make us. And so we're going to be kind of exploring it through that lens, looking at this this kind of walk of an authentic life, a life that says, God, here is is who I am for all that you are. Each week I'm going to try not to recap too much because I know that gets gets really old pretty quick. So if you missed any of these weeks or, or you want to know what we talked about the week before, Visit the website. You can download or listen or podcast or, or whatever you want to do there. Those messages will be up. But, but I don't want to do too much recap, be, but it's important that you understand where we're going because the book is written in a progression. It's written to these Jewish believers scattered all over Asia Minor, and James is doing an intentional thing with them. And so sometimes when we just move through text and we get in the middle of chapter 1 and you missed all the first part, you, you, it, it leaves you a little bit empty. And so you've got to kind of understand where we're going. So what I'm challenging everyone to do is read the book of James. We're going to be in it, all right? You're not going to know all the answers if you go ahead and finish it before we get back to it next week. I mean, read the Bible. Get in the Word. Take it home and read it. If you don't have a Bible, take the one out of the pew right there, pew, fancy word for chairs, and take it with you, right? Keep it, hold it, do something, mark it up, whatever, but read the book of James. That way you'll understand where we're going, where we're coming from, come with questions and thoughts and say, God, we want you to just teach us. We want you to open our hearts. Well, last week we kind of uh, really began this process by looking at the entry point. What is the book of James really about and how does he sort of start this book? And, and I really led us off with two things that we need to keep in our mind the entire time that we study this book. And that is the persecution that the early Christians faced was very real. And we're not talking about difficulties like life is hard and people don't like me because I'm a Christian. We're talking about waking up every day and realizing that today might be the day that I die because I believe in Jesus. Real, extreme life persecution. And being a Jewish Christian made it even worse. Your family had disowned you. You didn't fit into your culture anymore. And and your life was at risk for following Christ. And that these cultures that these believers lived in, spread out all over Asia Minor, were not Christian. You and I live in Oklahoma City. We're kind of in the buckle of the Bible belt. Our culture is very Christian, even though we don't kind of feel like it is all the time. It, It is. 
we are rewarded for our church life on some level. I mean, we're never kind of uh, living in, a, in too strong of a culture where people don't know about God, haven't heard about God, or we face extreme uh, oppression because of our belief in Christ. We live in a, a Christian subculture and a, and a Christian culture. And those two things are what these early Christians did not have, all right? They, they didn't have the safety of security of knowing that when I woke up out of bed this morning, no one was going to kill me for being a Christian. And they didn't have the safety and security of knowing that I'm going to show up in a place in church and there's going to be a hundred and something people in here that are worshiping the same God that I believe in. In any given town, there are only 12 and 15 Christians total. So it was a very different kind of cultural context. And James began his book by talking about trials and tribulations and these temptations that we will face as believers. And we're going to continue that thought line today a little bit. But this is what we learned last week. We learned that we're all going to face trials. Right? They're going to be diverse. They're going to come from every angle. The enemy is going to attack us from every angle possible, and they will test our faith. And the testing of our faith right, will develop perseverance, and perseverance will lead to maturity when we consider those trials and temptations pure joy. We talked a lot about the difference in considering the things that we face joy and opting out for relief last week. We learned that we're called to ask God for wisdom, and that God will give us wisdom if we don't doubt. We sort of left everything kind of wrapped up there. And James is going to continue this morning in that same thought line of trials and temptations. How do we begin to really understand who God is in the middle of our difficulties and struggles? And what is the promise of God? So if we're going to face these trials and temptations, we're going to come up against them. What is the promise of God in the middle of all that? And how do we begin to live the life that walks a path that says, Jesus, I trust you. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in the book of James, chapter 1. All right, we're going to continue down that path, picking up in verse 9-ish. We're going to pick up where we left off last week as we kind of explore this thought lines of trials and tribulations. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that your word is, uh, well, it's, it's real. God, it is more real than the air that we breathe. Father, it is the uh, word of truth, and it penetrates our hearts. You tell us that it's living and active. And God, we pray this morning that we might have an encounter with, with you, the living God. That you might penetrate our hearts, teach us something new. Maybe even some things that are hard to hear. That we might take complex truth that's wrapped up in these verses this morning. And have you unravel it in a very simple way and teach our heart. God, we know we can understand nothing out of scripture unless you reveal it to us. And so we ask that you just open our hearts and teach us. Take just a moment in your own heart and just pray that God would, would move in you this morning, that he would teach you something new about what it means to follow him. Just pray that. Pray for someone beside you. Maybe you know their name, maybe you don't. Maybe it's your first time here and you know, you're not real sure about all this. Just... just I just ask you to try it. Just try praying for somebody else. God, move in this person's life. Be in the habit of seeing the world and the people around you. And pray for them. Father, these are uh, complex truths that we're going to wrestle with this morning. And so enlighten our hearts. Teach us who you are. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, like I mentioned, sometimes teaching through Scripture, verse by verse, is hard because we come to places that we kind of go, and these are difficult, complex thoughts. And so we tend to want to wanna stick with things that are easier to explain, that kind of can wrap, be wrapped up in three neat little points in a poem or, or whatever, and then everybody goes out and we say, I mean, that was pretty good. 
But see, Scripture is living and active. It is, it is moving. And it teaches and confronts and convicts our heart. And sometimes we have to deal with the complexities of Scripture. But the great thing about Scripture is that it always points us to the character of God. Always. And James is no different. James deals with some very complex truths, as we're going to see this morning. But it always points us to the character of God. So rather than reading all of our verses, we're going to go all the way down through 18 this morning. Instead of reading them all together, we're going to read them in blocks and kind of work through them together. And we're going to start off with 9 through 12. And remember, we're picking up on the end of, of this trials and tribulations idea that really kind of comes off of James chapter 1, verse 2, when James says, Consider pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, for we know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So that's our hinge verse for chapter 1. And this is where James continues in chapter, or in verse 9. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. Because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. So at first glance, we look at these verses and we think about this is, is somewhat complex. And, and really like all of Scripture, or a lot of Scripture, and even the words of Christ, it's written in somewhat of a paradox, where the wisdom of the world is put up against the reality of God. And James's words here are really no different. The wisdom of the world is put up against the reality of God. And really these short verses can be summed up in one word, and that word is perspective. Now, we know from other historical writings that at the time, there was a pretty severe famine in the region. The whole region was affected by, um, by famine. Famine in those times was usually driven by drought. When a drought came, it caused the land to kind of dry up. There was no way to grow crops. And being a, a very agrarian, agricultural kind of society... Your wealth and your status and your possessions were really attached to the land in some way. Whether you were a farmer or a trader or a businessman or a person, when, when the land went dry, when food didn't come from the ground and a famine struck, everybody suffered. And most likely, in that time, what people were coming up against was the reality of poverty. And not poverty in the sense that says, oh, the month is tight, I'm going to have to put my phone bill on the credit card. But re- poverty that says the reality is that my children may not eat because there's not food anywhere. So when James, as we'll see kind of throughout this book, when he talks about these things, they're very relevant. When he's talking about high and low positions and wealth and poverty, he's talking about a very relevant experience for a lot of people. And most likely many of the recipients of this letter will have found themselves in poverty, extreme poverty, or at least will know people that are living in extreme poverty. But these verses can really be wrapped up with the word perspective. And I want you to keep that backdrop of poverty as we look at them. The the backdrop of perspective too. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. Humble circumstances is really just another word for lacking, for having kind of poverty, for being without. So the brother, the Christians. Now the idea here is when James uses the word brother, he's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. So these are written to believers. So the believer who finds himself lacking or without or in poverty, ought to take pride in his high position. We see the paradox that's often used in Scripture. When the world tells us we have nothing, God actually tells us that we have everything. 
but how does this really happen? If I'm a believer and I find myself in extreme poverty and famines ravage the land and I can't find food, how can my low position, my humble circumstances, my going without be a position that I would consider to be high? Well, the answer is found in what we looked at last week when we talked about that verse 2. That when we face trials and temptations of many kinds, we consider them pure joy. Because the testing of our faith develops perseverance and perseverance and leads to maturity. You see, when we find ourselves lacking or without, or we find ourselves in situations where we don't have, we have to ask ourselves, how do I see my life and the world around me? What is my perspective? Do I believe that I can find joy in the circumstance that I'm in, even if it means the things that I don't have that I wish I did? Can I find joy in this moment because I know it's drawing me closer to Christ? That's what we talked about last week. Not praying and opting for relief, but praying to see God in the middle of our And so what James is saying is he's saying, if you find yourself lacking without in humble circumstance, consider the fact that God is moving in you and bringing you to a place where you can see him more and have maturity. Because it's about how we see our lives. Most of us, when we're lacking, when we're going without, when we're in a period of struggle, we're more frustrated about what we don't have and why everybody else around us seems to have more or doesn't seem to have the same set of problems or struggles. And our perspective is misguided. And as you'll hear me say again in a minute, misguided perspective leads to mediocrity spiritually. So with the brother that finds himself lacking needs to ask themselves, what is my perspective? Can I find joy because God is drawing me closer to him? Can I have a high position even though the world would tell me I should be in a low position? But James doesn't really leave this paradox here, just with the brother in humble circumstances. He says, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers a plant and its blossom falls and the beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even as he goes about his business. So James says, not only is this about perspective for those without, but it's about perspective with those that have. Now, when James is talking about rich with this backdrop of famine, he's not talking about extreme wealth. Most likely what James is addressing is the idea of those that have. His kind of definitions of having and rich and, and poverty are really low. If you're in a place where there's extreme famine and poverty and someone is starving to death and you have food, you are considered wealthy. See, most of us can skirt the, the verses in the Bible that talk about wealth and riches because none of us really believe that we're rich. In our kind of Western celebrity-driven mindset, we believe that there are always people that are richer than we are. There are always people that have more. No matter what we have, most of us would never consider ourselves wealthy, and so we skirt a lot of those verses. But James' understanding of wealth here is very low. He's talking about having food, having a roof. You have. You do not lack. Therefore, you are wealthy. Now, with that definition as a believer, our perspective is important because if I understand that the things I have, the food that's on my plate, the roof over my head, the fact that I was able to pull up here in a car, if I understand that all that makes me rich, then I need to understand that at any moment, it can be taken from me. James says this, the sun rises right, scorches the flower and its blossom falls. Do you know that with any amount of heat, any amount of heat, the things in your life can be gone? 
A lot of us think that we have safety and comfort and security, but many of you found yourself with maybe the loss of a job or the loss of a loved one, or, or at some moment in time, everything changes. You know, when I was 23, my dad died suddenly of a heart attack. And our life was pretty orderly. I mean, my, my mom was a school teacher, but my dad had a good job, and we never really lacked for anything. But in one instant, our entire life turned upside down, and my mom had to sell the house that we all grew up in because we no longer could afford to live there. She was now living on the teacher's salary. We had some life insurance, but it covered some debt that was out there, and, and, and all of a sudden, things just sort of changed in a moment. You know that for all of us, with the right amount of heat, the right amount of scorching, life changes quickly. What James is saying is those of you that have, not those of you that are extremely wealthy, I'm talking about just those of us that have stuff. At any moment of time, the right amount of life put on top of your life, it can change. And James says, look, even while you're going about your business as a wealthy or a person that has, as you go about your business, in the same way the rich man will fade away. In other words, it's all temporary. See, what James is saying is that whether you have or whether you're lacking, it's really all about perspective. It's about how you see your life. Do you find joy in Christ when you're lacking? And do you realize that all the things that you have, when you have things and stuff and whatever, is from the Lord anyway? That it all belongs to Him. So James has got this captive audience of believers, and he's saying whether you are, are without or whether you have, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Don't think you got yourself there because you worked hard. You got yourself there only because, of God, because God blessed you. It's all from the Lord, and it can all be taken away. And James continues, James continues this thought on perspective by, by shifting it to a little bit more of an eternal nature. So stay with me. Listen to uh, verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So James takes this idea of perspective, how we see our life, how we see the world around us. And he, and he puts an eternal kind of name on it. And he says, blessed is the person who kind of withstands the trial because in the end you will receive the crown of life. Now herein lies the problem for most of us. We are conditioned to want to receive um, tangible rewards for things that we go through. So when we compete in a tournament we want to and we win, we want to receive the trophy. When we run the race and we win, we want to receive the big check with our name on it, right? When, uh, when we do something at work, we want to receive the credit and the promotion. We do it with our children. Hey, if you'll just not punch your sister, you can have a lollipop. So if I do this, I get a tangible reward, right? And, and a lot of that carries over to our spiritual life. Like, even though we most likely wouldn't want to admit this, a lot of it does. We expect when we walk through trials and struggles that God almost owes me something. God, it's been a season of drought and struggle and I have gone without and you owe me some kind of blessing. See, we really believe in our hearts, and we don't like to ever say it, but we really believe in our hearts that we should receive something for the struggles that we walk through. But notice what James says is the reward of the person that walks the trial, the crown of life. Not a tangible, touchable, I get a season of blessing or a new job or God brings me a car or whatever. I get a crown of life. And what's the crown of life? Well, it's the ultimate promise for someone who follows Jesus. But, but our perspective is misguided because we're so focused on the temporary and the comfortable and the security that we don't see what's promised for us when we follow Christ. 
I remember this time when I was, took a group of, of high school students to this mission trip, and, and we were going to the Dominican Republic, but we spent a few days in Houston doing some inner city work. We were working with the homeless, and we were, we were really talking about how we need to see the world through the eyes of Jesus and the things that we have, we need to be willing to give them away. And so really working with this group of co- high school going into college, so college seniors going into, or high school seniors going into college, talking to them about just, just big perspective change. We did a lot of that. And we were driving on the road, we pulled up a stop sign, there was this guy that, you know, this homeless man, he had a sign, you know, that said, anything helps or whatever. And one of the kids, this kid that I love, sitting in the back of this little bus that we had, Hey, he said, hey, Trev, I've got my lunch left over, and I have some granola, a granola bar in there. Let me hop out and give it to this guy. And I said, sure, you know, that's safe, I-10, whatever, hop out, you know. And, but I was thinking, these are these moments where we've been working on all these things, and, and this, this kid decided this is what he's going to do, and I said, sure. And so open the door of this little bus that we were on, and he hops out, and he goes, sir, and he's standing in front of the bus. And I got my window down, everyone's kind of staring and watching. This is the first experience that a lot of these kids had had with working with someone that was, that was homeless. And, and he walks up, and he goes, sir, I've got this granola bar. And that guy looked right at me, he goes, I got like 500 of those. And this kid was like, I'm oh, sorry. And he gets back on the bus, and he, and he goes, he's already got some. <laughs> and, and, I, and I just kind of thought for a minute that obviously the intention was good, but, but what this guy wanted was something other than a granola bar. It frustrated that that's what he kept getting offered. And, and not putting a slide on, on, on homelessness or anything like that, because I know there's, there's deeper needs there, but I think about my spiritual life in the same way. When God says, look, if you follow me, the promise you get is a crown of life when you die. I'm like, great, but that doesn't do me any good right now. Because right now, my life is a mess, and I want you to bless me with something here. I need a raise. A crown of life is awesome, but seriously, I need a raise. But see, what we fail to understand is that when we live with an eternal perspective, a perspective that says, Jesus, my life is not about the here and now. All that can fade at any moment. My life is about the promise that is given to me. And the crown of life for the believer is the ultimate promise of God. It is salvation in Jesus Christ. That when we finish this life, we have Jesus Christ in our life, Holy Spirit regenerating our hearts. We stand before God and God says, you are not condemned because you believed in Jesus. My blood, the blood of my son covers you. And you've been given life, life eternal, life forever. And this is the glorious promise of God. And what James is saying is whether you have or whether you go without, an eternal perspective is so important. But you and I, we live with this temporary perspective. We live with the comfort of today as our first priority. Temptations and struggles and trials will come. How we deal with those and how we see the world in the middle of those is incredibly important. We've got to have an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective that says, it's not what I have here and what you, I think you owe me. What a ridiculous thought. You don't owe me anything, God. But it's about the promise of what's to come. James goes on to say this. He says, when you are tempted, verse 13, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So why is verse 13 important? Why is verse 13 understanding that it's not God who does the tempting? Why is that important? 
Well, it's important because I think a lot of us live with a misguided theology. We live with a theology that thinks we're inherently good. We're inherently good, and we're doing the best that we can, and God shows up, and he, he gives us struggles and temptations. He challenges us. And then we're going about the life the best that we can, and that somehow God shows up, and to try and make our lives a, a little bit more rich, God begins to tempt us. Verse 13 is important because what we've got to understand is that God is not the problem, but God is the answer. See, life, will ch- we will be faced with challenges and struggles and temptations. We learned this in week one. The enemy will come at us with everything he possibly can. Because when we begin to follow Christ, our lives matter. And the enemy will come at us. And the enemy will bring everything he can to try and distract and deter your life from being a life that has an eternal perspective. And James says, look, it is not God who is tempting you, all right? But you want to know what the main problem is? He says the main problem is you. Because look, inside of you, inside of you is sin. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. After desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. You and I are not inherently good. Inside of us is sin and our evil desire. We are a mess. Our natural inclination will never lead us to God. We will never be able to pick ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps and get back to the Lord. Our natural inclination will always lead us the other way. Listen to what James says the progression is. The progression is that by our own desire, we're enticed away to disobedience, sin, and sin leads to death. Because your natural desire and inclination is for yourself. Sin. It's the truth of Scripture. And you can see this progression from Adam through David all the way through the New Testament. You and I are totally and utterly sinful. When left up to our own desires, we will absolutely ruin it. We are absolutely a mess. And our desires, our sinfulness, leads us to deception, which leads us to disobedience, which leads us to death. That is the truth of Scripture. And it matters because it means the only hope that we have is that God is bigger than us. That God moves and that God calls us and draws us to himself and redeems our life. You will not gain an eternal perspective by any amount of doing things. Most of us believe in this sort of performance-driven Christian life. That if I can just do a little more of this, read a little more of that, stop doing a little more of this, show up a little bit more here, or do a little bit more service, or give a little bit more money away, then that will make my spiritual life better. It's a lie, and it won't happen. Your natural inclination will always lead you in the other direction. No amount of doing things will ever get you there. The only answer is Jesus Christ, totally surrendering to Jesus Christ and saying, I give up. I have to have you change my worldly perspective to an eternal one. I cannot do it on my own. I know this from firsthand experience. I can work my tail off and never get closer to Jesus. It will not happen. No amount of doing and serving will ever get us there. Our performance-driven Christian lives lead us the other way. 
the only answer is surrendering to Christ and just saying, Jesus, I can't do it. Only you can do it in me. I can't tell you how many times have people say, you know what, if I could just get back in the Bible, then, then things would pick up. Or if I could just quit worrying about this and quit struggling with this, then my spiritual life would turn around. And the truth is, it's a lie. The more you read the Bible will not bring you closer to Jesus. The more things that you do and serve, the more money you give away will not r- rectify your broken spiritual heart. The only answer is Jesus. We are totally and utterly dead without him. We have to have Jesus change our worldly perspective to an eternal one. And this is what James says. Listen to this. Listen to how this happened. This will be our last verse for today. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits he created. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth. This is what James is saying. Don't believe the lie. Every gift, everything is from the Lord. Every blessing that you have is from God. Do not believe that you got there on your own. Every good and perfect gift is from above. The Father of the heavenly lights. In other words, the creator of the stars and the sun and the moon. The God that made it all, all those gifts, all those things are from him. Your perspective should reflect the fact that God gave it all and did all. Don't believe the lie. An eternal perspective says, Jesus, I can do nothing without you. God, every good and perfect gift is from you. And James says this, James says, he chose, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Jesus. He chose to give us birth through Jesus. And then James says that we, because he's writing this first century group of believers, might be the first fruits. In other words, the first of the reborn, the regenerated by the Holy Spirit. He goes that we might be the first that have been given life through Jesus. It's God who moves, God who does the choosing, God who does the work. And it's you and I who just have to surrender our lives. It is the complete counter kind of intuitive nature to what we live in our culture it is a laying down of our lives instead of a doing more it is a surrendering of our lives instead of being a driven personality towards God we pull back and we look at these verses all kind of in this sort of big view these are complicated things this is what we learn we are all going to face trials they're going to be diverse and they're going to test our faith at every angle That's just the reality of life. How we see those trials matters. The perspective we have on life matters. Whether we find ourselves in want or we find ourselves having, our perspective is incredibly important. We are called as believers to have a perspective that is not worldly in nature, but instead is eternal in nature. That says, God, I see you in everything. And everything I have is from you. And when I'm lacking, I find joy because I have you. The nature in me is eternal. My perspective is eternal. And God, I recognize that what I'm living for is not here and now. I'm not living to accrue personal wealth. I'm not accruing to living to get a bank account. I'm not living to get things, to get what I think you owe me. I'm living for a crown of life, the promise of what is to come. 
And I could tell you story after story after story of people I've encountered all over the world, believers that are living in extreme poverty, that have the greatest joy in Christ because they're living for a crown of life, the promise of what is to come. We can't orient ourselves on the here and now. Promise is eternal life. That eternal life, salvation comes only through knowing Jesus, which we will never get to on our own. Only through surrender of our hearts, saying, God, break my worldly perspective and give me an eternal one. Because every good and perfect gift is from you, creator of all. From you, you chose to move in me, and I'm just laying down my life. Now, these are incredibly important things, because what James is, is getting ready to do is to tell us that how we live our life matters. And there's a lot of James that talks about faith and works and all those kind of complicated things. But we have to understand these complex truths because no amount of doing James is setting us up will ever get us there. How we live matters, but the doing won't get us there. All that will get us there is to having, having Jesus regenerate our hearts by laying down, surrendering our worldly nature to an eternal one and letting God remake us. And this morning you may be sitting here saying, well, you know, Trev, here's the truth is that I kind of get all that, but I really do struggle with this perspective. Man, I'm so focused on my life right now. I'm so focused on the here and the now and the what I don't have and the what I want and the what I need. And I'm a mess. And what so am I? But this is the promise of Jesus Christ, that if we lay down our lives, and as we learned last week, we ask for wisdom. God, give me the ability to see the world through your eyes. Do it in me. James tells us that God gives, God gives, if we don't doubt. This morning, what's your perspective? How you see the world matters. Whether you find yourself in plenty or want, is your perspective an eternal one? This morning, as we close our time in worship, as we kind of lay our hearts out before the Lord, I challenge you to really ask yourself this, God, have I ever really asked you to change my perspective? Have I ever really asked you to break my worldly desires and give me eternal ones? Most of us are petrified to ask God to break our worldly desires because we love the world so much. But I promise you that if we ask God to break those worldly desires, those worldly perspectives, God will remake in us a heart that is for him. A heart that has an eternal nature, an eternal perspective. That sees all the things that we have as gift from the Lord that we get to give away. And when we're in moments of lacking, can see the joy of Christ in everything. Let's pray. Lord, we